0: I'm grateful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. It's a privilege. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it was uh, four years ago that we were last here and I was able to preach. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 20. I'm not going to read it just yet. I want to share with you a story first. But you can start finding it in your Bibles if you have a Bible. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 20 this morning we're going to look at the topic of caring for the poor, specifically how to love one another through caring for the poor. And I want to tell you a story about a friend of ours in Uganda. One of our good friends is named Martin, and Martin was one of the people that I trained in a program called Timothy Leadership Training. And then after he went through that program with me, he also taught others with me through that program. And Martin is not always, was not always the way that he is today. And I just want to share with you the change that God did in his life. When he was a young man, this is what he told us. He said that he would go and find a big stick, big like club, and he would go around and look for the people that were at the drinking joints who were drunk and staggering home in the dark. And he, and he would go and beat them for his entertainment with that club that was the kind of guy he was. He said he was just full of anger, full of violence against other people. When Jesus came into his life and he experienced God's forgiveness, his life radically changed. And now he is someone that I tremendously look up to as someone who loves other people and loves the poor. He will be always gathering people in his family and his clan to raise food, to go and visit elderly people and widows in his community and make sure they have food to eat. He will go to the, the young guys on the street who are doing drugs or alcohol and counsel them, befriend them, listen to them. He worked with a bunch of, of young guys that were doing uh, washing of motorcycles on the road and helped them to start a savings group. He's always talking to people about Jesus, and he's always looking for opportunities to to love other people, especially the people that his society neglects and looks down upon. That was the change that happened because Jesus came into his life, became someone of anger to someone who loves other people and loves the poor. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. We're looking at how the experience of God's love changes us so that we also love other people especially the poor. So now let me read from 1 John, starting at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. John keeps going, but we'll stop there for now to look at this section. In the book of 1 John as a whole, There's a lot of tests that John gives to think about whether we are truly someone who is in Christ. So he'll keep saying things like, if you are truly in Christ, you will believe X, Y, Z. Or if you are truly in Christ, you will be people who do this. And this is another passage where he's doing the same thing. And he's saying that true Christians, you know that you're a true Christian if you love one another. We're going to have three points we're going to look at from this short passage. The first point is this. Christ's sacrifice for us leads us to sacrifice for others. And God's love for us is what transforms us so that we love others. We get that first from verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. To give us a definition of love, John is pointing us to Christ to look at what Jesus has done for us, and that's how we can understand what love actually is. Sometimes in the church, we have arguments about, do we talk about preaching the gospel or do we talk about loving people and caring for the poor and justice? They're both important. What's important for us, though, is to get the order of the connection between the two. For John, he's saying that we do have to love other people, but it's because of God's love for us. The gospel comes first, it is primary. And caring for the poor and loving other people is a result of being transformed by the gospel. The good news of the gospel is what fuels our love for other people. God came to us first in Christ. First, we hear the good news of the gospel, we are reconciled to God, and we become a new person in Christ. And that naturally leads us to live a new life in which we have compassion for others. Let's remind ourselves what Jesus has done for us. John is talking about how he laid down his life for us. But first, Jesus lived the perfect life for us that we're not able to live, lived a perfect life of love and obedience And his righteousness is given to us as a gift so that we are justified before God. And then he was sacrificed for us. He died for us. He took the wrath of God for our sin. And through that, our punishment is taken away. When we trust in Jesus, when we are united to him, when we know him as our savior, we don't remain the same. We become born again. A more technical word for being born again is regenerated like recreated we be, we get a new heart and we get the holy spirit to live within us and we become new creatures. If we look at verse 14 again, John says that we passed out of death into life. That's what we're talking about with being born again. We were spiritually dead, but now with Christ we are alive in Christ. And because we are born again, because we are different, we are changed, we're transformed, we're in, we're in Christ, we become new people. People who want to obey God, people who want to praise God, people who desire to love other people. And we do that, we, we love other people, why? Because of our experience of God's love for us, in spite of our sins. We don't feel proud We're better than other people. We know our own issues. We know our own sins. We've experienced God's mercy on us. That mercy that we've experienced naturally leads us to want to have mercy on other people. We want other people who don't know Christ to experience God's mercy and reconciliation. And so we preach the gospel to other people. And because we've experienced God's mercy in our lives, we also want to have compassion on people as they go through daily Trials, challenges, sufferings in their lives. Again, verse 16 says that Jesus laid down his life for us, and in response, we become people who want to lay down our lives for others. This is why Christians throughout history have done amazing acts of kindness and love for other people, visiting nursing homes and hospitals to care for the sick, to care for the lonely. This is why people have fought against injustices like racism and slavery, even at the cost of their lives. This is why Christians foster children and take care of uh, orphans' children. This is why Christians have traveled to other nations and risked shipwrecks, risked accidents to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ. So again, the point is this. The gospel comes first When we experience the good news of the gospel and we are born again, it must, it always will result in that we are people who will have a desire and a love, a desire to love other people. For us here today, if we already know Christ, how do we refresh our desire to love other people? How do we refresh our love for others? It is by thinking again about what Jesus has done for us. As we praise Jesus For what he's done for us as we remember what he's done for us, it keeps on refreshing our love for God and our love for other people. The second point this morning is that we love others, how? Especially by caring for the poor. There's many ways we could talk about to love other people that we are called to do. But in this passage, John is looking particularly at our response to the poor. So we love one another, especially through caring for the poor. Remember that John said, we experience God's love for us first, that will make us love others and lay down our lives for others. Now, for most of us, John knew that we would not literally need to lay down our lives and die for other people. So he gives us a more specific daily kind of example of how we can sacrifice for other people on a daily basis. Let me read that again in verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. True Christians, if they have experienced the love of God, they will be people who will have compassion on the poor. Now, John does not tell us all the details about how to help the poor. It's a complicated subject. And in this room, many of us will disagree on different policies about how to help in the best way. But at at the minimum, John is implying that we will have a heart of generosity and we will be meeting the physical needs of other people. Christians will love in truth. Note that in verse 18, he talks about in truth. In truth could be preaching the gospel. We will be people who are willing to preach the truth, but we will also love in actions. He talks about loving in deed by caring for people in their needs. Now, in in this chapter, John is focusing on caring for other believers in need. He's talking about your brothers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. We know from the rest of the Bible that we're to love all people, we're to love anyone, whether they're Christian or not. But we also, we know from Scripture that we have a special responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we even have a special responsibility to care for those brothers and sisters in Christ in our local church. So before we think about all the problems of the world, it's good for us to think locally first as we think about this topic of loving other people and loving the poor, so it 's good for us to reflect together and ask ourselves some questions. How are you caring for poor people in your local church? And maybe we don't even want to use that word "poor. How are you caring for people in the church who might be struggling with a particular need? Would materially poor people would materially poor people feel comfortable visiting? Your church. After you think about your local church, you can also think about your local neighborhood, your city, your region. How do we help people in need in our city, in our neighborhoods? It could be driving around a refugee family who recently moved here. It could be tutoring children in a local school. It could be babysitting for a single mother who needs to work, but she has kids at home. Could mean befriending a homeless person, and it could mean giving financially to a, an outreach program, some ministry in the city that helps materially poor people. After we think about the local church, then we've thought about our city, then we can start expanding out and we can think about the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. I'll share with you just a few things from Uganda. Of course, we could spend all day talking about the problems in the world, but I'll just give us a few examples to get us thinking about this topic. In Uganda, we have a lot of pastors who are really thirsty and hungry for Bible knowledge. They want to be trained. They want to be taught. They want to go to Bible college, but they don't have the money to do so, and they don't know how they can leave their family at home and travel to a Bible college and pay all the tuition and get that training We have friends in Uganda, this happens very regularly, where the people that that Sarah is working with, for example, they're subsistence farmers, so they they have a garden, they have crops that they use for their own eating, their own food at home. But how do they get money? They get money by selling that same food. And so what often happens is people will sell too much of their harvest to get money to pay for school fees or to pay for health care, And then before the next growing season is ready for them to get food again, they're out of food at home. And so they have to go to neighbors and ask for food. They come to us and ask for food. The hospital situation is also very difficult. There are a lot of people who need operations that can't get them. They might get a diagnosis, but they don't have any money for the treatment. Hospitals are supposed to be free, given by the government, but because the system is so broken... You can't really get any services without paying, and you might not have the money to pay. And a lot of times, it's just the hospitals themselves. They're trying hard to do what they can, but they're under-resourced. I'm not sure if this statistic is still true, but it was true at least a few years ago, that for the whole country of 50 million people, there was one radiation machine in the capital city for cancer treatments. So you can imagine how much cancer there is among 50 million people and how to deal with that. Those are just a few examples to help us think about the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And of course, there are many opportunities and ways to give generously to help with what organizations and churches are doing. One problem that we have, whether it's locally or whether it's around the world, is sometimes we don't see the people in need. We're not aware. We don't see. Look at again at verse 17. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, the word see is important because most of us, when we see someone face to face and they have a need, we naturally are more willing to help, more moved to help that person. But when something is out of sight, it's out of mind. And sometimes our lifestyles and our choices can make it hard to see others or hard to be, hard to be aware of what's happening around the world. Let me give you an example just to um, think this through how this works. Sarah and I, we have genuine request, re- requests for help almost every day in Uganda, whether a pastor, whether a family whether a stranger that's coming to us out of the blue, and they can come with genuine requests for financial help or for material help because of some real need or some real problem. And that can be depressing because we, we, we don't know how to help everyone that needs help, or it's depressing to see our friends go through challenges. It can also be stressful to figure out what is the best way to, to help this person. I'm just giving you... Our experience that in our context is quite easy for us to see the materially poor and how to help. If that's different from your context, I'm not saying that we all need to fly to Uganda and live there or some other country. I'm not saying that at all. My point is that if it's not easy for us to see those in need around us, what can we do? What can we do to be more aware? Sometimes we even try to make sure that we don't see. We might get depressed when we think about all the problems of poverty in this nation or all the problems of poverty in the world. And so we'd rather not think about it because it depresses us and makes us sad and we'd rather feel happy. So we maybe don't like to read books that will help us think this through. Or we don't want to watch documentaries that will show us what's happening around the world. Or in our city, not sure if this is true in Midland or not, but I'll just give you an example from my experience in Soroti. I confess to you that there have been times where if I can walk on this street or I can walk on this street, I will walk on this street where I know I won't run into the beggars who will be asking me for for money. So in that sense, I'm purposely trying not to see the people who are in need because it's hard to deal with people who are in need. And that's obviously not loving and not what we want to be doing. How can we... Make sure that we do see. How can we make sure that we are aware of what is happening in our city and around the world? Think about the local church first. How can we be aware of people in the church that are in need? The people that need a visit, the people that need counseling, the people that need um, material help to pay their bills, the people that need an advocate to help them find a job, How can we be aware of those in our local church who are struggling? How can we be aware of what's happening around the world, what organizations and churches are doing to help the poor? After we do see those in need and we keep on seeing over and over, it can make us reflect on the deeper causes of poverty. Because we love people, and we keep seeing them in need, we can begin to ask, why are these same people in need over and over and over? And it can make us investigate out of love what is really happening? What is causing these people to be in need over and over? Is there some pattern of sinful behavior that's keeping them trapped in poverty? Are there false beliefs that they have that are keeping them trapped in poverty? Are there broken policies or systems that are keeping people trapped in poverty? Is there... Are there injustices that they're experiencing or corruption that they're experiencing that, they, that need to be worked against? So we can also go deeper because we love and we want to know the bigger picture. Just want to remind us at this point, the idea is not to be pressured by guilt. It's not about guilt. It's about love. We should care about these issues of poverty. We should care about the beggars on the street. We should care about the causes of poverty. All of this. Why? Because of love. We have experienced the love of God, and that love of God transforms us so that we love others. And that's why we should care about these issues, not out of guilt. Let me share a story with you just to demonstrate this. Back to Uganda again. One of the trainings that I mentioned we use is called Timothy Leadership Training. So one of the pastors that went through this program is named Dennis. And during the training, we talked about God's care for us as a shepherd, how God loves us as his children. And Dennis was really touched by thinking about God's love for him. And so he made an action plan. They have to make an action plan to carry out what they learned in the training. And he made an action plan to go to a nearby village from his and visit elderly people in that community, and so that's what he did. He visited about ten people. He went to them, talked with them, shared with them, prayed for them. He was able to share with them about Christ, but he was also able to help them materially. with one With one lady, he like repaired her house. Um, with other ones, he would give them rice and beans so that they had food saved up so that they could take care of themselves. A lot of them were widows. One was a Muslim, and she actually came to know Christ. And what I love about what happened was the people of that community saw what he was doing. You know, everything is done out in the open. Their homes are, you you talk outside, not inside the, the hut. So people saw what he was doing, and people came to investigate. Why is this pastor in our community helping our elderly people? And they were touched by that. And they came and investigated, and he was able to preach to them, also about Christ and some of them also were saved and a new church was planted in that area just out of his action plan to care for these elderly people with their material needs today they're still worshiping together they worship under a mango tree and God's love is still at work in them so they've experienced love from other people they experienced the good news of the gospel this small church is now also caring for widows in their community and they're also caring for children in their community for, with, their, with their school fees. That's what we're talking about here. God's love comes first. It transformed Dennis. He went out, loved other people. They experienced the love of God. They were transformed. They're loving other people. And that's what we need to do. After we experience God's love, it encourages us to go out and love the poor. I'm not going to talk a lot about poverty. It's complicated. It's a big subject, but... Just remind us that we care for people holistically. Preach the good news of the gospel as you help people with their material needs. Give money generously, but sometimes money is not the point. Sometimes what's far more important is the relationship. Building a long-term relationship with people, walking with them, encouraging them, helping them to identify their gifts and skills, and being with them in the long haul. So, As we give generously, let's also sacrifice our time and our comfort to walk with materially poor people in real friendships. Last point this morning, point number three. Loving others is part of the evidence that we belong to Christ. It is one of the ways that God assures us of our salvation. We get this several times in this passage Get it stated positively and it's stated negatively. In verse 14, it's stated positively. We know that we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Verse 15 states it negatively that if we hate our brothers, we don't have eternal life. Verse 17, again, is negatively. If you don't care for the materially poor, how can the love of God be in you? And then verse 19 states it positively again. So John is saying that one evidence that you have truly passed from death to life and you're a new person in Christ is that you're someone who loves others, especially the poor. Now remember, as you know, caring for the poor itself does nothing to save us. If I give away all that I have to the poor, if I fight, for, if I fight against injustice and lose my life for it, it doesn't... Give me salvation and reconciliation with God. That would be salvation by works. The point is that first, we are transformed by the love of God. We are changed in Christ. The result is that we become people who love others. As we see this change in our lives, it should assure us and comfort us that, yes, we have been changed by Christ. Yes, I'm truly in Christ. This is not something that should be like pride, like I'm proud of how much I do for the poor. Look at me, I'm so great, no? It's looking at yourself inwardly and saying look at what God has done in my life. I was like this and now I'm like this. You see the change in your life and you praise God for it. I think about The story of Zacchaeus, remember the tax collector, the short guy? He said, he experienced God's grace first with Christ. And then he said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I'm imagining Zacchaeus himself was surprised at the change that took place in him so quickly after he experienced God's grace in Christ. And that's what I'm talking about. Not pride, but that we see how God has changed us, how we love others, and that assures us of how Christ is at work in our lives. What if you don't feel this assurance? wonder if you're wondering about whether Christ has truly changed your life. There could be some people here, you say, I'm not sure that I really belong to Christ. What you're saying, I don't know. If you're not sure, I would love to talk to you Pastor Kurt would love to talk to you after the service. We'd love to talk to you about how to know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus and that you are loved by God in Christ. There are others of us here. You know without a doubt that you belong to Jesus, but you still don't feel assurance and comfort with what I'm talking about this morning. Instead, I'm saying you should feel encouraged. You should feel assured of your salvation, but you're feeling guilty. Maybe you're having doubts because you feel like you've not been good enough. You're not alone. If I look at my own life, I probably do more to help the poor now than I used to in the past. But it's like the more I try to help, the more I realize I'm not doing enough. If I think about loving other people by preaching the gospel... The more I preach to others, the more I share about Christ with others, the more I realize I'm not doing enough. But John has some hopeful words for us when we feel this way. If you look again at verses 19 and 20 and, and, and following, these verses are a bit confusing in the original Greek language, but most commentaries agree that John is trying to bring comfort to us when we feel as I've just described. Let me read those again. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Why do our hearts condemn us? Our hearts can condemn us when we feel like we're not doing enough. We're not loving other people enough. We recognize that our love for other people is not perfect love. But God is greater than our conscience he brings peace to our hearts. He knows everything, John says. He says, that God knows everything. What is he talking about? We already know that God knows everything. Why is John bringing that up? I think two reasons. One, God knows that we are changed and that we have become people who love others. He knows that our love is not perfect, but he knows that we are trying to love others because we have changed. He knows that we have that desire to love other people, but we don't do it perfectly. But much more importantly, God knows who we are in Christ. God knows who we are in Christ. Remember that our salvation is not about us. It's not about the good things that Anthony does. We are saved fully, wholly, and completely by God's grace given to us in Jesus. We are justified by faith. His work of salvation in Christ is greater than the doubts of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, in the end, we all feel like we have not done enough because we haven't done enough. None of us has done enough. Only Jesus has done enough, and he did it perfectly. He loved other people perfectly. He loved God perfectly, and he loved other people perfectly, and his righteousness given to us as a gift is what saves us. That's why in verses 21 and 22, John says that we can approach God's throne in confidence. Because of what Jesus has done. If our hearts condemn us, God is not finished with us. Trust him that he's still at work in us. Even today as we hear this message, he's still working out his plan of sanctification in our lives. He's still refreshing our love for him, refreshing our love for other people. As we close, I would like you to reflect on God's word to us today that God had in mind that you would hear this word today and He wants to work in your life through it. And I want to encourage you to do what my pastor students do in Uganda, which is to make an action plan. We very often read God's word, then we close it and we go away and forget about it. But when we're intentional to make an action plan, what will I do specifically? as a response to God's word. So that's what I encourage you to do. Think. Is there something specific that God is calling you to do? Maybe there's a person that God has put in your mind that he's calling you to befriend, to walk with through their time of struggle. Maybe God is calling you to um, sacrifice something as a family so that you have more to give to help the poor. Maybe there's um, someone that you need to visit. I don't know what it is. Reflect with your family today over lunch, and make a plan. Be intentional. What is God calling me to do today, this week, this month, in response to his word? And remember, don't be driven by guilt and pressure. The reason we're supposed to love, according to God's word this morning, is because of God's love for us first. Rejoice in what Christ has done for us, and let it transform us this week to be people who love our brothers and sisters in Christ and everyone else that we meet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, for the salvation that we have in him. Thank you for your love for us. You've made us your children, and you are our heavenly father. We thank you for that amazing grace, amazing mercy, amazing love. Continue to work in us, Lord, that we would be people who would love our brothers and sisters in Christ, sacrificially, laying down our lives for one another, and that we would be people who are known for loving the poor. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the multitudes of ways that people are serving you week in week out, loving each other, working to address injustices, working to care for those in need, visiting the sick and the lonely. Continue to use them. Continue to empower them. Use them as a light in this city, in this region and in the world we ask that you continue to empower them and provide for them and use them by your holy spirit we pray this in jesus name amen